Hello and welcome to BakaCast, uh, episode 374, I believe. Uh, I am your host, Dustin, and with me today is Ben. What's up? And uh, that is the uh, only co-host I have right now. We're running a fairly uh, light crew because um, Aaron uh, wasn't watching the stuff that we just watched and uh, Larry had some personal stuff to take care of this week. Uh, Larry will be back for our next recording to talk about Cowboy Bebop and maybe some other stuff. We'll, we'll see. Uh, um, Aaron fails as an anime fan. <laughs> he really does. Oh, don't be mean. <laughs> Look, I, I was Aaron initially. Um, oh, of course, now my headset decides to uh, almost run out of battery. That's cool. Um, I... All right, I'll I'll deal with this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, we are here to talk about the um, rest of Lupin the Third Part Five, as well as uh, Garo Vanishing Line. Um, also, you can find show notes for this episode at www.projecthari.net and also at audioentropy.com. Uh, Let's let's go ahead and start with Garo vanishing line. How about um, sure? Because it's the freshest in my mind right now. Um, I I think like one thing I will say, just sort of overall, first of all, is that uh, I don't think Vanishing Line is a great show. Though I don't think really any of the Garo shows I can call like, oh yeah, this is amazing. Um, but it's a lot more consistent than I was expecting it to be. Like, throughout the other two Garo shows, both uh, Crimson Moon and I can't remember what they're calling the uh, first animation the now. The Carved Seal of Flames. Right. Um, uh, throughout both of those, like, they were overall, I think, you know, decent shows, but had definite low points. Uh, whereas with Vanishing Line, they're only, like, you know, a handful of episodes that I don't think are very good, and the rest is, like, at least decent um, to, you know, very entertaining. Well, so I, it was definitely a lot more consistent than what I'm used to. Well, I thought the Carp Seal of Flames was solid, but, uh, yeah, it was it was a solid show, just had a few weak episodes, mainly in the middle. That was my, uh, that was my recollection of that one. Uh, Crimson Moon had a decent story, but the failed on the production end. It it didn't look good at all. Uh, yeah, this one, yeah, yeah. The the production production was production was good, and the story was uh, solid. So I'll give it and I uh. Overall enjoyed, uh, overall enjoyed the, uh, overall enjoyed, uh, Vanishing Line. Had, uh, it had its virtues. Yeah, um, yeah, again, I, I don't, I don't say that to really disparage the other shows, it's just that I think Vanishing Line was more consistently good, at least for me, um, even even if the various twists and turns that were coming along were very obvious, uh, <laughs> um, but also Garo has never been a particularly subtle show. Well, actually, um, the thing that the thing that that uh, well, actually, the thing that that sort of caught me by surprise was okay. Was the like what I thought it was building up to was that the brother was like a flat out evil mastermind. That's uh, true. When, yeah, that's when, what I initially assumed right. as well. But it turned out that he was actually not like not well, I mean he's the antagonist he was the antagonist sort of, but he was in a sense also kind of a victim that he was well intentioned but manipulated by the horrors to uh basically do awful things. Yeah, he, he didn't realize what he was doing and when um Sophie sort of shows him all the deaths he's caused. It causes him to mentally break down. Uh, and that's when the horror has to take control. 
Um, well, that's actually that was actually the horrors of the whole plan was be- because yeah. because the thing about him was the thing about him was that he his motives were is that he had his motivations were basically pure, and and that was the whole point was and in, in that in terms that in terms of he was not corrupt at all. So the uh, so the horrors the horrors actually had a hard time cracking him. And in order to do that, they used Sophie to make him fall into despair, which, which uh, was the opening they needed. Yeah, I, I should I should know sort of like uh, there are there are a few episodes leading up to them actually getting to the city. One of my favorites of which is where the where the anime like the director decides, hey, what if like Mad Max Fury Road was pretty cool? What if we just did that for a bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which i think was episode like 17 i want to say where they just have a big ass car battle <laughs> uh no 17 was right after 17 was right after they got to the city i think that was the episode oh, okay. before that but yeah i i really enjoyed that it was it was a lot of fun yeah that's yeah that's the thing it's like even the road trip episodes had their you know, had were entertaining to watch. And, and what also got me about what also got me about Vanishing Line was the like the stylistic touches that the director kept on pulling out that didn't always work but were still were still entertaining to watch. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of like, you know, clever stuff going on. Um in, in this show in terms of like how it's shot uh, and again like I I like the entire cast which has not always been true of the other Garo shows um, like in Crimson in Crimson Flame the dad the uncle is kind of a piece of shit uh, uh, wait no you mean uh, wait. the blonde guy uh no that was in carp seal the uh that was in carp seal flames that was right the, uh, carp seal flame not that was, i i combined the two titles for some reason yeah like right it yeah in carp seal flames uh in carp seal flames the uh the father was well awful <laughs> but yeah but it was kind he of was the point it, but it was sort of kind of the point that he was just like a really lousy father yeah. Even though he was a great, even though he was a great Makai knight, which actually makes an interesting, uh, which actually makes an interesting contrast in uh, Vanishing Line, where you have another father-son dynamic, which plays out a bit differently. Although the the yeah. father's, uh, in this case, the father's even worse because, uh, like, yeah, because Luke's father turns out to be uh, Luke's father is the knight. Uh, uh, of the horrors, and uh, he, uh, yeah, and he was just, well, he was just, he was flat out one of the villains. Where like, you know, Herman was like a douchebag, but he was, you know, on the side of the good guys when it came, when it, you know, when it counted. Yeah, still a good guy. Um, but yeah, I, I also really like. Sophie has such good good interactions with all the cast, um, especially Gina. Like I really liked when the one episode where, uh, and I'm I'm shocked that I'm even saying this. I, I actually really like the episode where Sophie and uh, Sword kind of get mad at each other, um, even though I thought the kind of B plot was a little dumb. Um, uh, at, I actually liked their plot line um, just because we got some good interactions between Sophie and Sword and sort of uh, seeing them like kind of try to make it up to each like make it up to each other after they both realize that they're being kind of kind of jerks to each other and then also seeing Gina try and cheer up Sophie um, which 
I feel like that this episode really that episode like really reinforced my idea that Gina is the best. Uh, and granted, all the main characters are very good, but Gina in particular, you know, in in Makai Alchemist, uh, it what seems to be a like a tradition now for these animated series, the main female character is the best. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, in like in Carfuel Flames, you had uh, you had Emma who was. Who was who was great, and then yeah, in, who was the most baller of them all? Yeah, and then in uh, yeah, then in Crimson Moon you had Same, who was awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, they, they, and then the you, is that the uh, is that this the Garo series, the Garo franchise overall has been very good at writing their female characters. Yeah, which is shocking. <laughs> Like, it's not at all what you'd expect for a series with this sort of aesthetic. Also, yeah, Vanishing Line also has the remarkable feat of writing a child character who is not annoying. Yeah, Sophie's really good. Um, and, like, the times when she is annoying, that's the that's the point, and also it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there, there's times when she basically, you know, she basically loses it as, a, you know, as a result of basically being pretty much a normal person in this, like, awful situation, and she just can't handle the pressure, and so, like, so the re- so when she does, you know, when she does, like, things that frustrate us, it's because it's for the right reasons, and it's for understandable motivations. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, all the main characters in this show were written very well. Um, and I also just like the sort of, uh, finale a lot, which, it's hard to pick, like, a single episode, because the finale kind of encompasses, like, the last four or so episodes, I'd say. Even though they aren't labeled part one or part two or whatever, they still kind of flow into each other. Uh. Um... Well, pretty much as soon as they get to El Dorado, it becomes, you know, it becomes like one continuous, a continuous narrative, a continuous, a continuous narrative flow. Yeah. I, I also like was not expecting, cause like they, cause like they do that thing where they reveal that Sword has a tragic past and his, his sister died, I believe it was, right? Yes. Um, and Initially, I'm thinking, oh, you know, tragic backstory, this will never come up again. But no, like, his sister actually becomes a major character in the finale. Because, like, yeah, she her body died, but her soul was saved in, like, El Dorado, so she's digital now. Um, and she got really good at hacking El Dorado, and, she, like, she becomes a major character for, you know, those last four or so episodes where at least one or two of them are in the digital space at any time. Um, and she even teams up with Sophie for like the last couple episodes. Um, so I was, I was actually pretty impressed that like, that wasn't just, you know, a fridging there to give sword a more tragic backstory. It actually served a purpose and she got to actually do things and play a role in the narrative. Uh, um, so yeah. that was kind of, that was a pretty neat subversion of that, storytelling trope yeah what that reminds me of in a way is uh a blood blockade battlefront when you have uh you know leonardo has this tragic past with his sister but nah his sister turns out to be pretty cool yeah sis yeah his sister's still alive and also she's rad and in some ways is like more put together than her brother is <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah, I, I really liked, uh, and also like when her and Sword meet up again, it's like, it's not played for huge melodrama, um, which I appreciate. Uh, it's just another thing that happens in Sword's life because, you know, his life is really weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Sword is not going to let anything get him down for long. No. And that's what makes him such a fun character to watch. Sword may be my favorite Gold Knight. Actually, no, he I think he definitely is my favorite Gold Knight. Um Cause he 
he feels he feels the most like a JoJo character to me. He built like one <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, like. I also want to talk about the visuals of the sort of final episodes as well because um, it, it's it's not so like the final episodes aren't so much about the Garo Knights facing bigger and badder horrors, kind of like how it was in um, uh, Cursed Flame, um, where like the sort of final battle was against a gigantic horror. Uh, in this, like, the it's not so much about the horror itself so much as the system that the horror generated and trying to tear down everything it created so it can't self-perpetuate, essentially. Right, yeah. Um, so what makes this horror... Yeah, what makes this horror dangerous, it's not, it's not, it's not its raw destructive power, but basically its ability to create a world... A, basically create a virtual world and like suck people into it and then basically like rule them yeah yeah basically yeah suck people into its virtual world where they where it can turn normal people into horrors much like twitter (laughs) Uh, yeah the uh what i what i like i also like sophie's character arc because I was especially gratified at the very end when, you know, yeah, when, when she gets, like, okay, Luke tries to take her memories away, but she ain't having that. Uh, you know? Oh, yeah. And then yeah, and... She, she sits down with Gina and's like, okay, how do I become a Makai alchemist? Yeah, and, like, I, I, I love that, and also it makes total sense because... Again, like, Gina kind of became, like, like, uh, like, Sword, like, she looks up to Sword, um, and sort of has a father-daughter relationship with him, but also, like, she spent a ton of time, like, with Gina, and Gina was a huge influence on her as well, so, yeah, of course she's gonna, gonna want to become a Makai alchemist like Gina, who is rad, <laughs> like... Yeah, well, and um, you know, and also it allows to it allows her to be basically still stay connected with Sword. Yeah, which again, I love the subversion they do at the end of it, where it's it's you know the the very like cliche shonen ending where it's like, oh, uh, one day we'll meet up again, I promise, and then Sword's just in the bathroom. <laughs> Yeah, Gina didn't want to talk about like where Sword actually was because that would be embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh no, Sword's fine. He just has diarrhea. <laughs> and, and and the the odd like the boldness to commit to the bit where the credits roll as soon as like <laughs> where you don't even have. Like, the only reaction Sophie gets is just, like, mild, silent shock. And then the last thing you see is uh, Sword, like, sheepishly closing the door. And then instant cut to credits. (laughs) Just completely committing to the joke. It's great. Because yeah, you, cause you don't... Because, like, it makes the joke work better, and also you don't need more of a Denoma. Like... <laughs> ah, yeah. It's like... <clears throat> yeah, it's like, yeah, everything's gonna be... Everything's gonna be fine, because, yeah, Sophie's gonna be, uh... Sophie's gonna be in a Makai Alchemist, and, you know, she's gonna basically keep working with swords, fighting horrors. Yeah. Gang's back together again. And also the orphanage is going to be fine. Uh, everything's going to be good. Um, but yeah, it's... I, I like this series a lot. I think it's my favorite of the Garo animated series thus far. Um, and it's certainly the first one I would recommend to people. That's for sure. 
Um, so I I will 100% give this give this series a four. Like um, it wasn't perfect. Um, certainly had some not so great episodes, but largely it was a, a really fun series that I didn't have a whole lot of problems with. Uh, I would actually give it a low five. Yeah, I can see that because it was uh yeah it was basically it was a step better than it was a step better than Carve Seal of Flames, which I basically gave a high four. So yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say the weakest so far has been Crimson Moon, honestly. Yeah, I mean it was, and even then, like that's okay. Yeah, it was uh, it was yeah good but not great for me. Um. All right, uh, so let's move on to Lupin the Third, uh, Part Five. Oh gosh, where did we leave off on uh, this? We left episodes? off at ep- we okay. The last episode we covered on the podcast was episode thirteen, which was the school hostage crisis. Right, which, so fourteen uh, through twenty-four. Yeah, which led into the uh, the Padar arc. Yeah, which is that that actually episode fourteen initially confused me because i was like wait did i skip an episode um but then i realized no 13 was the last one i watched and it it just feels like i missed something just because it cuts straight from the school to like okay she's at her like home country now and we're and we're never gonna mention the school at all ever again basically yeah well yeah well that's because the way it's structured what they do is they they sort of, they jump ahead and then they backfill. And so that's why it seemed confusing at first, especially if you'd been, especially if you hadn't been, like, if you hadn't been following it week to week, and actually, because I, because I basically stopped, I basically stopped watching Lupin for, like, a season. Yeah. You know. Uh. But yeah, so it's it's sort of it's sort of jarring at first, uh, but one of the things I like about this episode is it um, uh, it sort of reintroduces um, Ami as a uh, regular character, um, and it's sort of hinted at in episode thirteen. But this is where she becomes uh, like where she really starts becoming more of a recurring character uh, in in the series and you're like, Oh, okay. This, this character is probably going to stick around. Um, and I hope she comes back for later parts as well. It, it seems like that's the intent, um, is to make her a more permanent member of the gang who comes in occasionally. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I really like the Padar arc. Um, even uh, even if like it was a little bit hard to follow in terms of people's motivations and allegiances, uh, like there were there were a lot of moving parts and a lot of sides to keep track of. Yeah, right. Because all right, yeah. To to unpack that, okay, which is basically uh, yeah, what Lupin and company get uh, sucked into is a civil war between. Uh, between basically a reformist king and a basically uh, and a uh, right wing high priest, uh, and for some reason the CIA the CIA is uh, against the king, and uh, basically uh, and so the so the, like the high priest so the high priest basically plots a coup in order to bring down the king. And install Dolma as uh, as a puppet queen, where he can basically, you know, roll back all the social progress that uh, Padar has made, or whatever, or was going to make. Yeah, and in the middle of this, and this is actually one of the reasons why I like Part Five so much, in that it's through throughout the whole thing is extremely anti-imperialist. Like throughout this whole thing. Uh, it's made explicit that America is backing, uh, God, I think it's the coup attempt. It's yeah. probably the coup attempt. Yeah, the America always, uh, fucking America always backs coups because we're goddamn idiots. Uh, 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 they haven't been doing that lately. They, uh, 
but that's... We have still been fighting proxy wars, though. Um, so, yeah, like, uh, there is explicitly, you know, America inter- American interventionalism going on uh, in Padar. Um, explicitly called out as self-serving interventionalism, as it always is. Um, because we often like to say, oh yes, we are doing this for the good of the people, to bring democracy. Um, and uh, Lupin unequivocally, unequivocally takes a dump on that uh, on that lie, which I I kind of appreciate it for. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, what? yeah, and and like yeah, and then also like there's. Uh, there's like also the third side, which is the like the FBI handler who's supposed to be um, like the princess's bodyguard, who doesn't whose whose own country was ruined by bombings that I believe it's also implied were done um, with the support of the American government. Uh, that's. If I remember correctly, no, that was uh, it was, but it was just like basically, no, there wasn't anything about that, and he was a he was a CIA guy, not he wasn't FBI. Oh, CIA, yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember, I can't exactly remember the backstory for that because uh, it, it's it, it, kind it, of yeah, it goes, it, it, like it takes all two minutes, so it's not there. For yeah, long. It, basically, his country his country was trapped in a civil war, and he was like. You know, you know, he, he was basically, you know, sticking by the, uh, you know, he was, he was like, you know, working for like the coup as basically to try and keep the, uh, basically he wanted the coup to succeed and quickly so that there wouldn't be an extended civil war. Yeah. And also with the express intent that, um, eventually they would, the princess would take back the country from... Uh, the uh, high priest and actually, you know, get some uh, progressive legislation through, progressive reforms through. So his idea was like, okay, we'll let this coup happen, but we're not gonna, like, just let the priest do whatever the hell he wants. We're trying to play the long game here. Yeah. Um, And then you have the Lupin crew as sort of the fourth side here, that just, you know, wants to help Ami save her friend, which by necessity means stopping the coup. Um, and also defeating, and also, like, uh, I, I guess in turn kind of uh, also stopping whatever the Americans want. Because um, they kind of want control of the king. No, no, wait. There, hold on. The Americans are helping coup. Gosh, I'm already getting yeah, myself. Yeah, 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 but but what on the king's side is this uh, is this tech company that's been uh, using the has been uh, with the king's support. They've been using Padar to test their people log app. Yeah. So this is this is like our introduction to the uh, sociopathic tech bro character, um, and like we eventually find out what people log is later on, but. It's extremely reminiscent of, like, the uh, system that China is testing right now, which gives everybody, like, a personal score um, that can affect, you know, what, uh, where, like, positive and negative scores can affect people's ability to, like, get loans or buy cars or things like that. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah, it, 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 it's like a weird fusion between Facebook and like the Chinese prototype thing. Uh, well, no, it, what it, well, what it does, well, yeah, well, yeah, you find out the way it works is it's actually, it basically is this like a uh, giant machine learning thing. Yeah, which uh, it's which, which basically which basically gives a grade to uh, basically facts that people post about other people, uh, or to to information that people post based upon you know the machine learning basically tests this for consistency with uh, with with like with the rest with the other data that it has. 
So yeah, and it's and it's and the Lupin crew rightly calls it out as horrifying. <laughs> like it's real bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I, I do want to mention before we get to that plot line, um, that episode seventeen is like this neat little sort of self-contained episode where Lupin solves a murder. <laughs> like he essentially becomes Sherlock Holmes for an episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a. Uh, well. Yeah. And and also that's a. Uh... That's a throwback uh, to the uh, to the Green Jacket days, because uh, that's what he's he's got he because because uh, oh yeah like, that's right he all, is wearing his, a different jacket yes because so in the standalone so all, like the standalone episodes most of them are basically throwbacks to earlier seasons uh to earlier seasons where he had different styles of where he had different colored jackets. Because so in one season he had a red he had a green jacket, in another season he had a red jacket, and another season he had a pink jacket. Yeah, I believe you. I believe the pink jacket was mentioned during that one episode with the fish, and how pink jacket season is generally considered a overall very bad one. Yeah. Um, if this is what a green jacket season was like, I should probably check that season out because episode seventeen was a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed um, that one. It was it was a pretty big departure from sort of the the current arc, um, and also what Lupin was typically do- doing during this season. But it was pretty neat to see him take on a role he doesn't usually do. Um, and also, I really like his interactions with the maid as well. Um, it was just a really fun episode with a with a pretty clever twist at the end. Um, so yeah, seventeen was a lot of fun. I just want to mention that before we move on because it kind of just doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and then there's, uh, yeah, and then there's another one. Then there's another episode, which uh, oh, episode eighteen, I think, which happens directly after it, where it's just like, uh, the entire episode is centered around the Lupin crew have their toilet isn't working right um because it's because because like fujiko hid something in it yeah and it's it's interesting because like on the storyline itself doesn't really connect up with anything but uh the overall arc of it um the the character interactions do tie in because a big part of sort of the second half of part five is asking asking Lupin directly, hey, what are all these people to you? Um, which becomes explicit in sort of the final couple episodes, um, which I think is interesting because one of Lupin's whole deals is that he kind of keeps people as ar- at arm's length just because of who he is. Uh, so he's never you can never really tell if he is being honest with his uh, emotions or his words. Um, And the same is also true of Fujiko, who is, you know, very much like Lupin. Um, uh, And so you have, you have multiple episodes that kind of ask this question of like, okay, what is Lupin's real relationship with these people? And specifically, what is his relationship with Fujiko, and what happened between him and Fujiko, which is something Ami desperately wants to know because Ami has a huge crush on Lupin and sees Fujiko as a kind of sort of rival. Um, and episode eighteen kind of touches on that in that this thing Fujiko is trying to. Uh, retrieve from the toilet is a gift celebrating it's never explicitly stated but it's implied to be their anniversary even though you know they were never married um they kind of sort of were playing at being married uh and fuji and this gift is implied to be sort of an anniversary gift from fujiko and like she she can't bring herself to give the gift to him directly 
So she just pretends that nothing's happening and at the end of the episode just leaves it on a desk, but it's soaked in toilet water. So Lupin just throws it in the garbage. <laughs> and it's both a really funny and also just extremely sad encapsulation of what their relationship is, where neither of them can be honest enough with each other to ever really know what either of them wants with each other. So they kind of just keep circling around, hoping that one of them will figure out what they truly want, but they never do because they won't just won't be goddamn straight up with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's episode 18, which is really goofy, but I, I liked it a lot. I'm not sure if you have anything else to say about it. No, no, I, that's, uh, Uh, oh yeah, then episode 19, um, that's another one that seems like it's sort of just a, uh, one-off episode, but it actually does end up coming into play later on. Um, but yeah, I, it was, it, I like the sniper battle in this. It was a lot of fun. Um, and also it, it gives Jigen more characterization, which is nice because I feel like he rarely gets to have character development, character development episodes. Like, Jigen's just kind of always Jigen, for the most part. Uh, and this time he kind of gets to be the star of the show and get some more depth to him, which was nice to see. Mm-hmm. Uh. Um, also, also inter- it introduces even more, like, highly capable female characters to the Lupin universe, which is always good. Um... Let me think. Uh, then episode 20. Uh, oh yeah, episode 20 also was real weird. <laughs> yeah, because it has, uh, let's see, Zenigata has, uh, Zenigata turns out, turns out, start, is like stealing things because he has amnesia. <laughs> yeah, and turns, and he ends up being like for the most part a better thief than Lupin at least initially like it's it's only it's only the very last height where heist where Lupin finally gets the better of him right <laughs> and yeah that was all yeah that was also sort of interesting it, it it's uh like sort of the the way it characterizes the relationship between uh Lupin and Zenigata yeah, yeah, and, and and that like Lupin actually like has a lot of affection for Zenigata, um, you know, as opposed, which is highly different from how he usually views the police force, uh, because Lupin, uh, I think both kind of feels some pity for him, but also. Uh, only feels pity because he knows Zenigata is like one of the most pure people in this entire universe. <laughs> like, like in a in a in a world that is filled with corrupt people who are largely the victims of Lupin's, um, you know, heists. Zenigata is one of the few people who is actually like righteous, um, and like does his best to not just be a good cop but to be a good person um which is why he sometimes will let lupon get away with things that he really shouldn't um because it's the right thing to do uh yeah he also, yeah he also and, and like lupon clearly recognizes that and so like lupon you know also treats Zenigata far differently than he does all of his other enemies yeah well let's think well, let's think about Zenigata is that you know he refuses you know you know he refuses to compromise his principles for tactical advantage yeah um this is this especially comes up in uh, episodes 21 through 24, which places Zenigata directly at odds with, um, like, some of the people who would actually help him catch Lupin, just because he has such a strong, uh, 
like ethical argument against people log um in a se- in a sense like Zenigata sort of becomes the viewpoint character for the audience uh, uh or i guess like more accurately Zen- Zenigata kind of also becomes the um mouthpiece for the show itself in regards to people log um in that it is a extremely dangerous technology um that like you can see the appeal of um but the cost of it towards personal privacy and also just the fact that no matter how sophisticated the algorithm it's still technology created by people and has flaws because of it um and this is regarding getting into so this is already getting deeper into um, the final four episodes that compose the finale. But essentially, like, yeah, people log can predict and it can give accuracy ratings, but those ratings are not always, you know, actually perfect because the algorithm can't know for certain. It can only make probability predictions. And yet because of how it is marketed and because of how it is presented, it is treated like things with A ranks and B ranks and even sometimes C ranks are treated as fact or close enough to fact without any of the nuance that those facts actually actually have. Right, because the, the, uh, because the machine learning algorithm, the machine learning algorithm basically uh, ranks the basically uh, gives grades based upon how consistent they are with the rest of its data. Yeah, and then, then of course, that, that comes to the issue like, well, if it's just based on previous data, then, you know, how can we be sure that the previous data is also accurate enough to judge future data off of? Yeah, um, also, yeah, also, they, and this, this, uh, this is how this turns things around uh, how is it because yeah because the uh, the data that they go off is only stuff that's publicly available on the net and which means that you know which means that the uh, the picture that people log has of, of people is going to be incomplete because it doesn't include any any data from off the grid yeah yeah which is why which is how it's how uh, Costa is able to manipulate Jigen and uh, um, Goemon uh, because he's able to just type in his own conclusions based on what he has seen in People Log about their relationship with Lupin, which is not. While it's it's close, it's not the actual relationship he has with them it's adjacent to it um but framed in a way to make it seem more negative than it actually is but people log still gives it a decent grade because it's close enough um and like that nearly foils lupon because as acosta says like his weakness is the people he keeps around him um, that's that's really the that's. The, I I thought that was his last name. What is his last no, his name? His name is his name's Enzo. Enzo. Why, Enzo Enzo is the Enzo is the tech bro. Okay, Enzo. I don't know why I th- thought it was Acosta. I don't know why that name popped into my head. Um, but yeah, it's so Enzo realized like that's one of the few ways you can actually get to Lupin is you know by is through his you know uh, through his friends. Um, yeah, so episode 21 is largely uh, dealing with um, people log becoming, uh, you know, spreading throughout the world, um, Enzo becoming a, a billionaire, possibly trillionaire, very quickly, um, and how Lupin sort of can't escape it. Um, and also what that, and also just the implications of what of what people log means, not just to Lupin, but also to governments as well. 
uh, yeah, because you know, like like any like any uh, uh, morally questionable tech startup, uh, it, the goal of people log is to supplant governments. <laughs> well, yeah, except or... <laughs> I uh, I thought like that assessment was way or... off because okay. Because, like, what PeopleLog can do, you know, PeopleLog can handle, like, the information management and social control that governments do, but what it cannot do is resource allocation. Um, yeah, it, it can't, yeah, it can't handle resource allocation or enforcement, really. Um, well, yeah, because, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is a little uh, ludicrous to, for the show to claim that PeopleLog can replace governments. When in reality, governments would simply use people log to become far more, you know, to make their totalitarianism far more efficient than it otherwise would be. Well, yeah, except that, yeah, except the fact that, uh, yeah, except the fact that people log is not controlled by a government actually makes it a double-edged sword. Which, uh, which would I, which one of the great pit bits that I thought was the way Lupin actually uses that to turn it against uh, yeah. Enzo. Because cause what, he, cause what he does is he start, is Lupin basically starts posting, starts posting, like, all, like, the dirty, all, like, the dirty secrets, all the dirty secrets that he'd gathered over the years, uh, he starts posting them to PeopleLog, which basically, <laughs> and, and they, and, like, all the stuff that he keeps, all the stuff that he, that he posts, you know, keeps getting a keeps getting graded as a a class, and so that means that people people believe it because well, actually, it's pretty likely true. Uh, uh, and yeah, and and governments like are, are getting massively disrupted by this, and you know, and corporations, and so they start and so they start trying to shut people log down. Yeah. Which, which I thought was cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, including like sending missile strikes against the compound. Uh, but yeah, one one thing there. So there are two weird things about this finale that I sort of want to jump ahead to, just because I it was so strange the direction they took was so strange to me um the first one is sort of how enzo is um during most of these episodes and how enzo is at the very end or like when it's revealed that um ami is his daughter ami reveals this expecting that Enzo will be like, oh, I finally found you. I'm so glad. And it turns out he did, didn't care at all. Um, and he's straight up portrayed like a sociopath who does not actually care about people. He just cares about the algorithm. Um, but then at the very end, he is treating her more like his actual daughter like you'd expect him to like he's still an eccentric billionaire who's pretty weird but he's more like an actual father at the very end for no apparent reason like the only i guess the implication is that once he figures out lupon's secret and he knows what's missing from the software then he like he no longer has that obsession but that's sort of a weird tack to take and doesn't really make him seem better, which is kind of what they seem to... It seemed like they wanted us to have a more positive opinion of Enzo at the end for taking Ami back as his daughter, but, like, I don't think they really earned that ending scene between him and Ami, honestly. Uh, yeah, I can sort of see that. I mean, it was like, I don't know, it, it sort of, it made me happy, but, you know, it, but if you, but if you think about it, it doesn't really scan. 
Yeah, it's it's a bizarre turn for his character. Um, and it kind of takes away from sort of how the point that we're making about this guy in the in the early episodes, I think. Um, the other really weird thing that they do is uh, when Fujiko, uh, when Lupin reaches Fujiko, uh, and Fujiko asks, you know, what am I to you? Um, and Lupin, it's implied that Lupin, so. Lupin does like the takeoff mask motion, except he's for, except at that point we, we aren't aware that he's wearing a mask. And after he does the takeoff mask motion with his hand, like his entire sort of face down to his shoulders is enveloped in a magical anime shadow, sensor shadow, which seems to imply that the face we know as being Lupin's has never been, been his real face and he's been wearing a mask this entire time and so the only people who know what his true face are is are uh enzo ami and now fujiko am i I interpreting this wrong yeah yeah that's uh yeah that's how i thought it but the problem is is that that doesn't scan because yeah it makes zero sense uh, yeah because because like, for like like, you know, because like two episodes, because like in the previous episode, he was in the custody of doctors and police for like, for quite some time, and the doctors actually operated on him. You'd think they would have figured out that if like that fa- if his you know like his uh, iconic face was a mask. You'd think that the doctors who were operating on it would have figured that out. Yeah, and also you'd think that, because I'm sure Lupin has been in stick, like st- st- situations just as sticky in the past. And you'd think like, if his face, his, his face that we know of is as his actual face is not actually his real face, he would have used this trick probably once or twice before. But like... It's such a bizarre retcon to say, oh yeah, the Lupin, like the iconic Lupin face that was around there from the beginning. Yeah, that's not real. It's such a huge, like, leap to expect an audience to just, uh, like, say, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, it's it's a cool twist in the moment, but it that moment only lasts for one second, and you know, after that one second passes, I'm like, wait, this makes zero sense. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Um, and also that implies that, like, so he does that in response to Fujiko asking, like, what, what is he to her? Um, which implies that, like, oh, you are, you are, you are the person that I I can entrust this secret with, but that's kind of dulled by the fact that Ami and Enzo are also there, <laughs> so that like he's he, he's telling them his that secret too, so that Fujiko's not the only person who gets that. So does that really make Fujiko? that special like it's just it's also just not a very good answer to that question yeah there were issues with like yeah there were things that like were sort of cool but didn't make sense there were a lot of things like that in this in this arc yeah uh which is a shame because like i thought i think the arc was mostly pretty solid like even even the whole thing with Jigen going up against an entire like military battalion <laughs> which on its face is just so stupid uh, yeah. but it kind of works also um, also because all these because all these people are like basically superhuman yeah also the uh, the uh, the amount of collateral damage from that must be staggering yeah 
Yeah, G- like they Jigen murders so many people. <laughs> like he, he murders a lot of people. Uh, yeah, it's yeah th- this arc. I-, I like it for the most part, but there's a lot of things about it that are just really questionable decisions. Um, overall, though, I really enjoyed part five. Um, there were some really fantastic episodes, you know, plenty of like, you know, a few middling ones, a couple bad ones, but mostly like really enjoyable, um, with some genuinely fantastic episodes as well. Um, okay, so I, I, okay, I, I figured appreciate out what the what deal with the jacket. I, I figured out what the deal with the jackets is. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the uh, the green jacket comes from the first season. Uh, the fir- the first season, which uh, aired in uh, which uh, started airing in 1971, uh, and actually most of the episodes in the first season were directed by Miyazaki. Oh, yeah. I bet... I think he's wearing a green jacket in Cagliostro as well. Yeah. Um, right. So, the uh, season two, uh, which started airing in 1977... Yep, he totally is. Uh, ...was the red jacket. Uh, yeah. And, uh... The, uh... And then the, uh, like, okay, and then the, uh... Let's see. Then in nineteen eighty, start in nineteen eighty four. Uh, that was the third season. Was the pink jacket. Uh, and let's see. Yeah. Well, then of course. Well, then there was Fujiko Mine, and, which is a uh, kind of an outlier. Yeah. Also, it's weird that like in Castle of Cagliostro, Fujiko has blonde hair. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Or at least at least two of her, her disguises have blonde hair. It's just weird seeing her as a blonde. Uh, anyway, uh, that's that's also one thing that I liked about part five is that, uh, barring a few episodes, um. Fujiko was given a lot of good parts in this particular season. Um, you know, th- there were certainly some ep- episodes where the writing was less kind to her. Um, but I think for the for the most part, she was like portrayed really well, and at a lot of times, like pretty sympathetically, um, in terms of her relationship with. Uh, Lupin. Like, I, I know I certainly came out of the series going like, man, uh, it kind of sucks to be Fujiko. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I appreciate how she was written in part five um, for, for a lot of these episodes. Uh, I also, I also like the character Ami. Like, Ami was so good. <laughs> Yeah, I think I hope I hope she sticks around. Also, fun. Uh, also, they they had a neat little in the uh, in the last arc. Uh, they had a neat little callback to part four uh, with Rebecca. Yeah, Rebecca had a bit part in the uh, last couple episodes of uh, of part five, and she was actually one of the uh, you know she was actually a very significant character in part four. So I thought that was a neat little callback. Oh, was she the one with like the sort of um, the blonde and teal hair? Yep, that was. Uh, yeah, I was wondering who the heck she was. Uh, that was Rebecca. She was actually uh, she was actually married to Lupin for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah, because because uh, that was a thing that that was like a uh, that was actually a uh, a sort of ongoing ongoing aspect was was that uh, was that uh, Rebecca and Lupin were married. Uh, they they actually got married in the first episode of part of part four. Although it, yeah, as, it didn't stick. Yeah, as we know, like uh, as as is explicitly mentioned in part five, uh, marriage just does not work for Lupin. <laughs> yeah. 
It was... Yeah, also, like, there's actually this cool part um, in... Uh, I think it might be episode 23 um, or 24. Oh, it's 23. It's after Jigen breaks loop, destroys the caravan and breaks Lupin out. And he's asking Lupin, like, hey, don't you sometimes think that maybe you should stop doing this? That it's, like, really self-destructive? Um, and... Lupin gives this speech that is, you know, very dramatic and, like, sort of in the moment pretty convincing. Um, but ultimately, like, his point, despite how uh, sort of poetic he is about it, it essentially boils down to him saying, yeah, I, I keep doing this because otherwise I'll get bored. Which is kind of sad. <laughs> like because he is he his lifestyle is self-destructive like and it does put his friends in harm's way and like eventually it is going to kill him and drive away and ruin the people he cares about in in a sense it 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 has already done quite a bit of damage to fujiko um and he justifies it by essentially saying, yeah, I have to do this, otherwise, you know, my life would be boring. Well, okay, well, the thing about Fujiko is that, I think, well, well, the thing is that Fujiko is, in a sense, attracted to that self-destructive aspect of, of Lupin, because, uh, yeah, if Lupin actually, uh, you know, if Lupin actually, you know, stopped, you know, well, being Lupin, uh, Fujiko would have gotten bored with him in a heartbeat, which is actually why they broke up in the first place. Uh, the difference to me with Fujiko is that she realizes it and sort of acknowledges that it's probably not a good thing that she's like that. Um, at least that's what I got from her conversations with Ami. Is that, like, she knows that um she has a similar problem uh but also that she kind of regrets that she has become addicted to this sort of behavior and yet or maybe i'm just maybe i'm not interpreting it right but um that's the impression i got from her conversation with ami near the end of the uh... series that uh, that unlike lupon she's not necessarily like happy about it. Yeah. Well, like she kind of like she she kind of does the implication there is that she kind of does, you know, uh dream about like what her life would be like if she could settle down. Um and that's why she's so melancholy about her relationship with Lupin and that she wants to be able to settle down, but she knows she can't. Uh, yeah, well, I don't think she really wants it that hard. <laughs> I mean, that's possible. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel... I feel more sympathetic to Fujiko, because I think Fujiko has more self-awareness than Lupin does. Well, well, actually, when Jigen calls him on it, it, like, yeah, after, like, wiping out that whole, like, like, all those cops, after wiping out all those cops, you know, Jigen's like, yeah, don't you think you gotta just, like, you know, call it off for after a while? And, yeah, Lupin sort of acknowledges, acknowledges, like, that he's on a self-destructive path, but he's like, no, I gotta do what I gotta do. Well, yeah, but that's the scene I was mentioning, but I'm just saying Lupin gussies it up in poetic language to make it seem cool and noble, whereas Fujiko doesn't do that at all. Like, she doesn't try to make it seem more dramatic and noble than it actually is. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. That's, uh, 
That's a fair like, point. Fujiko is... Out of the two of them, Fujiko is far more honest than Lupin is. Um, but yeah. Huh. There's... There's this series. This 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 season is a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty strong overall, but uneven in spots. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think overall, I will give it a four. Uh, I will also give it a four. Um, at the very least, I think ironically, Fujiko is portrayed better in this season than she was in her own series. <laughs> But yeah, we've well, we've sort of been over my issues with a woman called Fujiko Mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, because that's the thing with like with uh, yeah Fujiko Mine was like yeah, it was like okay, it's like they they did kind of a head fake where it was like oh, it's like yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna you know get to the bottom of Fujiko's motivations and uh, her tragic past and all that. And it's like nope. Even before she got sucked up into all this stuff, you know, she was uh, hell on wheels. Yeah, and also we're gonna have a bunch of uh, um, the weird gender politics courtesy of... uh... (laughs) Why can't I remember her name now? Uh, wrote um, on Ohana. Wrote Mari Okada. Mari Okada, yeah. <sighs> yeah, like, there are shows where I think Mari Okada does good stuff, but I, I do not... She was not a good decision for a woman called Fujiko Mine. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, yeah, uh... I think I already said it, but yeah, I'll I'll definitely give uh, part five a four. Um, and hopefully, when they make a next season, um, Ami will be a uh, recurring supporting character in in that season as well, because uh, yep. she's definitely the best thing to come out of part five. Uh, so yeah, uh, that'll do it for this episode of BakaCast. Um, we will be covering uh, the cowboy bebop movie during our next episode not sure if we're going to be doing uh not sure what else we're going to be doing i we haven't decided on that yet we're sort of you know gathering suggestions from the rest of uh from aaron and larry here um just to get a bit of variety but we'll figure something out yeah all right uh so without further ado ben dustin three two one. Kiribosh. Kiribosh.